Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, I am joined by Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald. He led the Wildcats to a Big Ten West crown last year and a bowl win against Utah. We'll talk to Fitz about some big-picture college football issues like transfers, and name, image, and likeness. Plus, we'll talk to him about replacing his four-year starting quarterback with a former five-star recruit who transferred in from Clemson. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. I'd like to welcome in Northwestern football coach Pat Fitzgerald. Northwestern is the defending Big Ten West champions. Pat is also an aspiring baseball broadcaster. I caught you the other day, Fitz, on the White Sox game. Your inning ended up going national because MLB Network picked it up. So hopefully that was a good recruiting opportunity for you guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, as a Southsider, uh, to be there throughout the first pitch, uh, you know, for the Sox was awesome and a great honor for me. And and uh, you know, the Sox won, so that was a, a win-win. Very nice, very nice. Yes, uh, and just to be just to be clear, you are a Sox fan at heart, but your Chicago allegiance spreads far and wide, right? Uh, well, without a doubt, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm a Southsider, born and raised. So when the when the Sox and Cubs play in the World Series, I'm going to be flying the silver and black. But <laughs> unlike some other people, I'm not a Cub hater. <laughs> or up where I live now, where there's a lot of Sox haters, uh, I'm an equal opportunity guy. I love both teams and both organizations. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great to be a two-baseball town. It's, uh, it's a fun summer. Yeah, there are very few coaches uh, around the country who truly get into their local teams like Pat Fitzgerald does in Chicago with Northwestern. Let me try to recreate a conversation that not just you and I had, but you had with several sports writers sort of casually when we ran into you at our, in Arizona for Big Ten meetings. There were several other conferences meeting out there. And just so folks get a feel of the setting, there's a whole bunch of coaches meeting and walking around this hotel and a bunch of reporters sort of stake, <laughs> stake them out. And some coaches tend to sort of walk with their head down and try to avoid the the media folks like myself. Pat's a guy who tends to sort of stop and chat, <laughs> you know. So we appreciate that very much. And one of the conversations that we had was there's so much talk about the transfer issues, the portal, the waivers. It, it sounded to me like, well, first of all, I'll let you explain the, the the AFCA has an idea of maybe how to go about providing some consistency because consistency seems to be the the thing that people are most looking for so maybe if you can explain the afca's idea on what to do with transfers yeah probably both uh from a standpoint of consistency and transparency i mean those are the two probably largest issues that we have and uh you know i don't think there's a coach that's a part of our afca trustee board uh, that has been working on this now for a number of years now with most recently with todd barry uh, that we, we have not tried to find a way to make this be exactly what young people need 
uh, from a standpoint, number one, of if they're not happy, if they feel like, you know, a, another school is the right fit for them, give them the opportunity to transfer. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody on the board that feels that restriction of that is, is the right thing to do. But to avoid just chaos in the system, uh, to have consistency, to have transparency, we'd like to tie it to, to academic success from a standpoint, if a young man decides he wants to transfer, to allow him to do that and, and use the new NCA portal as, as his opportunity and his mechanism to do that, which we're all for. And then if and when he graduates, he can regain that year of eligibility that he loses the year that he transfers. So, number one, we eliminate any sort of tampering from school to school or third-party involvement with moving a freshman who played, let, let's pick a school, X, and now, hey, you played there as a freshman, you're good enough, let's go play at school A. Maybe they picked the school for the wrong reasons, a myriad of reasons. But let's get healthy, let's get uh, transferred into a new school, let's get situated academically, let's build the new relationships that you're going to have to have and get comfortable in the new school. But you sit out the next year, you can still practice, you can still travel with the team, but it's going to eliminate those that are tampering. And, and for us to think that that's not going on, we're very naive as a culture of college football. And we'd like to eliminate that. And we'd also like to eliminate the guys that, you know, the old school in me is, is you know, this thing is hard. You know, after my freshman year, I wanted to leave. I wanted to transfer, not because I didn't like Coach Barnett and his staff or the players. It was just really hard. And thank goodness I had a mom and dad that said, if you come home, the rent's due at the end of the month and it's 500 bucks. <laughs> uh, and that was, that was my motivation to stay. So, you know, there's also some societal factors here that we know as coaches that, you know, young people got to fight through. If there's valid reasons, feel free to transfer for wherever you want to go. But if it's, it's just hard, we'd like to see kids fight through that and, and, and really roll their sleeves up and go to work. But we don't want to restrict kids. We want to en en enhance uh, the focus on academics, and we want to reward them for graduation. You know, it's funny. The transfer portal, I think, has become sort of a catch-all phrase that ends up being addressed by all transfer complaints. In other words, I, I don't even like the, the portal is just a mechanism for players to sort of get their names out there to let everybody or let the other schools know that hey, I'm I'm ready to be recruited. The rules around around the portal haven't changed that much. It seems like the thing that's really caused the uncertainty is the waiver piece. Because now it seems like it seems, and I don't really know if their stats back it up, but it seems that more players are getting waivers to play right away. And that seems to encourage more players to think, oh, well, I might as well leave. Would you like to get more clarity on the waiver process? That, that plays into the transparency that I was talking about. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, I, I, I think if we're going to have an ambiguous waiver system, let's just either have a one-time transfer and everybody can play and it's only one time, or you can transfer and you got to sit and you get it back. One way or the other, it eliminates this ambiguity that's in this, uh, as you described, in, in, in this waiver process that, you know, if you get lawyers, you're going to get you're going to get it. But if you can't afford the lawyers, you're not. Or if if somebody's sick, you will. But if somebody's not, you won't. Or if you say that the coach ran you off the school, but he really didn't, you know, is the coach going to come back and fight? I mean, it just has created a mess. And and um, we again, as I don't want to speak for the entire board, I'll let I'll let Todd Barry do that. But we want to help kids. If they're not happy, let's help them be happy. Um, but at the same time. I, we want to make sure we also police ourselves 
and the one I, I think, you know, the one thing that's not being talked about is this. You know, kids understand that if they put their name in the portal, the, the university no longer has to honor their scholarship at the next semester. So what's happening is, is these kids are using sometimes their high school coach, but more times at parties to reach out to other schools saying, hey, yeah, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, who you recruited last year, went to University X. He's really interested in transferring, but he's not going to put his name in the portal unless you tell me he's got a scholarship there at University A. And all University A has to do is say, well, if he goes in the portal, we'll probably have one in there for him. And then a kid walks into the school and says, hey, I'm transferring. Now, if we, I think once we get the stats of the portal, which we don't have any of those yet, I think, unfortunately, kids are going to be disappointed at how many of the transfers. It sounds to me like I read somewhere like 20% power five to power five are going from scholarship to scholarship. Well, that's one out of five. I'm, I'm not sure that that's the desired outcome by the kids. No, and you're right. The hard stats haven't been come up with yet by the NCAA. There have been some websites that are doing God's work trying to track it, but it's not the easiest thing to track. But what they're coming up with is what you said, about 20%. And also, a lot of kids, and it's, it comes back to the 25 signing limit per year, right? I mean, at a certain point, there's just not enough spaces for transfers to sign scholarships because people sign us an incoming recruiting class. And if they sign 25 guys in that recruiting class, they can't bring in a transfer. So there's just ends up not enough spots for the transfers. Well, that's going to be the next heated debate. You know, first of all, we have to figure out the transfer piece, you know, completely, which obviously we haven't done that yet. The 25, we had hoped the 25 hard cap would eliminate coaches from running players off. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that was a big push by the AFCA board that we felt like that 25 hard cap would say, listen, if Joe Smith isn't going to start, we're going to still keep him uh, because we can't sign enough guys. Now this new recruiting classes come into play, and if the numbers are what they are, and again, we don't know how many of those kids in the portal are scholarship, how many are walk-ons, how many were at the school, and maybe even were dismissed from the program. I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers of the onion, so to speak, that we have to peel away before we can you know, really talk in terms of facts. But the 25 hard cap is real, and there are some schools and some discussions that are really pushing hard to push that number up and I think we got to be really careful of that because that, that hard cap has, I think, really helped student-athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we start saying, well, if you have a kid go in the portal, you could replace them. Well, I would, I would say if the kid uses coach's runoff as a reason why he transferred, you shouldn't be able to replace that for a year. I think that should be a punishment on the coach in the school and still be a piece to protect the player. Kid leaves, uh, gets a medical hardship or – he ends up going to the NFL, that, that, that might be different for maybe an extension, but not just a blanket because a young person went into the portal. I think we have to be very careful saying the portal is only driven by student-athletes and their families. It's also, there's some coaches out there that may be forcing guys, hey, you're not going to play here. We strongly recommend you leave also. You know, that, that's just a cute way of forcing a kid out of your program. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because I think that's a – piece of this that sometimes gets lost in the discussion. Listen, it's a discussion that is mostly driven by coaches because we have a lot of access to you guys, so we can ask you a lot of questions. So I think sometimes 
coaches tend to think about their own self-interest a little bit, and that's not a knock, but that's sort of the way things are. And that piece of it, like what is going on with these athletes when maybe coaches aren't necessarily, maybe not necessarily doing things that are nefarious or downright evil, but just not necessarily taking care of business and taking taking those players into consideration. So I appreciate you sort of mentioning that part of it because I think that does get a little lost in the shuffle. A lot of transfers get nudged, right? Get nudged out the door. Strongly, strongly encouraged, you know, or, or, you know, there's an old movie out there that said, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Right? <laughs> right, I mean, right. So, uh, yeah, you know, and again, I, again, I don't want to speak for the full board, but, you know, that's one of the big areas where we really have tried to work hard with our, our partners at the NCAA and, 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 uh, you know, obviously our commissioners and our ADs of, you know, let's do what's best for the student athletes and let's do what's best for the game. And if we can have those two be the, the, the parallel roads we're going down, you know, you, you take your coaching hat off from a standpoint of your own self-preservation as a coach, and, and you look at the bigger, more holistic way that you, that you really should uh, be approaching each topic and, and transfers as one of those. And I'm honored to represent the Big Ten and honored to be a part of that conversation. And I think we're doing a lot of good work, but we've just got to work through it and try to find the best avenues to make uh, – like I said, the student-athlete experience better and the, and, the, and the game better. Let me ask you another thing that's sort of a big picture. It's away from the transfers. And I'm not asking you to defend Dabo Sweeney in any way, shape, or form. But I'm just going to use him as an example because, you know, he signed this big contract. He made a, a mention recently of a, a point he's made before about how, you know, listen, if they start paying the players, I think I might go coach in the NFL, which, of course, then brings a lot of criticism to Dabo because people look at the $9 million contract and think, man, right. like— that seems a little tone deaf. So what I'm going to ask you, again, not to defend Dabo, but when there's talk about players maybe getting some money from name, image, and likeness, right? The NCAA said it's going to look into possibly allowing athletes to earn a little something or be compensated in some way to profit off their sure. fame, right? Where do you stand on the idea of finding ways to give the athletes a little more money and or a little more compensation and the idea that it's becoming harder to make the case against it, at least from some people's points of view, because coaches are making so much money. And I understand you're a coach, so you're, I'm, I'm sort of no, asking, no, no, yeah, but, but you understand well, where, I, where, I'm, where I'm coming from on that? Yeah, right, well, before I was a coach, I was a player. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was a dude on EA Sports. I want that game to come back so my kids can play dad as a dude. I mean, I was, I was <laughs> legit, you know, so... I'm heartbroken. My, my fish story is not getting any better with uh, the video game, but in all seriousness, uh, listen, I, I, I have not met a coach, especially college football coach, that does not want to make the student-athlete experience better. And there's a lot of high-level discussions that will go on that, you know, quite frankly, we can, we can express an opinion. I'm not sure how far we'll move the needle one way or the other uh, as coaches, but as a board, we really try – to advise on what we think is, is prudent and just and, and best. And I've already alluded to that. You know, I think, you know, me personally, uh, you know, I, I'm my biggest concern whenever we move away from the current model that we have is how will we be able to do whatever these changes are holistically, not just for football players and basketball players, but holistically for entire athletic departments. And that's just one discussion point that, I'd like to start having become the, 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 the topic of, okay, if we're going to do all these things, 
and, and we're going to have whatever you want to call the system, how are we going to be able to then provide for you know, here at Northwestern all 19 of our all 19 of our sports? Um, and I haven't heard anybody come up with that solution. So for the one percent basketball and football player who's going to be able to probably make some money off of their name and likeness, I would venture the guess there's over 90% that won't. So I'm not of the belief that that's still the solution, but if that's the step we make, that's the step we make. But I'd like to have real discussions about if it's going to change for one student athlete, how do we make a change for the better for all of them? Because I'm so proud of our, our softball team. Kate Drohan and her, her women are going on now. They got out of the regional. They're ready to rock. And, you know, I would say an overwhelming majority of their trips to games, those are done on buses and over a long period of time. And our guys are getting on charter planes, and our life is pretty good. So, you know, I, I think we got to look at this thing holistically and uh, just try to find solutions that way because I'm really concerned of what it might be if it's not that way, meaning we're just going to have it in basketball and football and not, not what ends up happening to our other students, what ends up happening to our other students. And I, I, I don't know those answers yet, uh, but I, I look forward to maybe sometime being a part of those discussions. Okay, Pat, I want to take a very quick break here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, and then we're going to come back and talk about some Northwestern football and what to expect out of the Wildcats in 2019. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald is uh, joining me this week. We've talked some big picture stuff, and now, Fitz, I want to talk to you about your team. You can't start a conversation about a team that's having a quarterback change without starting with the quarterback change, and especially when you're dealing with you have a four-year starter in Clayton Thorson moving out and a really interesting player in Hunter Johnson, a transfer from Clemson who was a five-star recruit, possibly moving in. I know you're not handing him the job, but possibly moving in. So where does the quarterback situation stand as you enter the summer? Well, it stands as a competition. Uh, you know, I thought Hunter had a great spring and uh, is learning our offense and is, you know, obviously a very talented young man, and we're ecstatic to have him a part of our program. And, you know, we've got four other, you know, quarterbacks that, that are part of the system also uh, that have done everything in their power uh, to win the job also. And this is, I think, my fifth with Mick McCall, our offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, give or take one quarterback battle that we've been through. And what we've always done is we've, we've approached it from an organic standpoint. We try to give the guys equal number of reps. We try to give the guys every opportunity to win the job. And then it kind of separates itself at a certain point. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit more time than others. And through this spring, you know, nobody had really separated themselves up and or, quite frankly, down. And so this will be ongoing through here as we wrap up school here in early June and then, you know, into early training camp. And, and uh, you know, I don't have to make a decision until the opener against Stanford, which we will. But uh, we've got a great situation here, and we're really, really excited about all the guys. You also had something that doesn't happen very often in your offseason to Northwestern is you, you lost an assistant coach. 
and I, I don't remember when. I mean, maybe I'm forgetting one and something. It one did happen relatively recently, but but Adam Cushing left for Eastern Illinois, and you had to bring in a new offensive line coach. And again, unless I'm forgetting something, that seems to have been one of the first changes you've made had to make in a while, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when I when I uh, uh, look at my staff. I'm so thankful for, for these guys and their families. They have been absolutely phenomenal uh, in supporting our guys and, and being loyal. And, and then the same thing from the university standpoint. Our, our, our administration has been uh, uh, just phenomenal in supporting our program and our coaches and their families. So we're very thankful for that. And, uh, yeah, Adam Cushing got the head coaching job at Eastern Illinois. We're, we're fired up for him, and he's going to do a great job for the Panthers and uh, I was able to hire Kurt Anderson, um, you know, who had most recently been uh, at Arkansas to, to be our O-line coach. Last year was on our staff as uh, a quality control coach. So fired up to have him a part of it, and uh, it, was a, it was a good for spring. You know, let me ask you this. You always talk about how sort of Northwestern, you guys live on the edge a little bit, right? You're, you're going to play a lot of close games. You need to maximize your resources, so to speak, and, and your athletes and the, your opportunities. How much does the continuity within the coaching staff sort of fall into that bucket of maximizing your opportunities, of, of winning on the margins, so to speak? The, the fact that you have this continuity and maybe other schools that you're facing simply don't have that kind of continuity. Yeah, well, I definitely think it's one of the key ingredients to our consistency, without a doubt. You know, our young men know year in and year out what the expectations are. Uh, you know, hey, listen, anyone that's played a team sport knows that every coach has his own little quirks or her own little quirks. And, you know, part of building that relationship is figuring those things out. And uh, when you've got continuity and consistency, it really works itself out where a young man can, in our game, and in my opinion, can really thrive and grow in that relationship and, and really make it more than just a transactional football relationship and make it more about developing young people to be the best they can be, and you really become close. And uh, I'm really thankful for our staff's loyalty. Uh, you know, we had Randy Bates go a couple years ago to go be the D.C. at Pitt and doing a great job for Pat Narduzzi. Uh, you know, Kevin Johns, same thing, go to be a, an offensive coordinator. I hope I continue to do a great job developing our coaches for those opportunities, and I believe we've got future coordinators right now and head coaches on our staff, and in a due time, we'll lose those guys, but until then, we're going to use that as one of those key ingredients for us being consistently successful. Can you look at this season as anything of a, I don't know if rebuild is the right word, but when you're coming off such a great year and, you again, you lose some key pieces, including a quarterback, I think the, the natural reaction would be is, okay, now maybe Northwestern needs to sort of reset a little a little bit. But I could also make the argument you've got the program moving along at a, at a pace where you should expect this, a similar level of success every year. Is that where you are? Well, isn't that the best time of the year when we get to talk about all those things? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where, you know, I, I've been doing this now for a long time. I have no idea. That's the best part. I, mean, <laughs> I love the group. We, and that's full, full on. I, we have a great group coming back. Uh, we, I thought, had an outstanding spring. The brotherhood is as strong as it has ever been. And, you know, it's, it's so funny. Coach Barnett told me when I was a player, you know, they remember what you do in November and December and they forget what you do in September. In our September last year, we were not very good at all, and we just got better and better and better and improved. And, uh, you know, to, to you know, have the run we had at the end of the year and, you know, really, you know, quite frankly, not to discredit Ohio State, but 
really didn't play well down the stretch in that game, but had every opportunity to compete in that game. And then to beat a very, very good, I think, outstanding Utah team in the Holiday Bowl, I think gave our squad a ton of confidence going into the offseason. Do we have new holes and, and, and new, new, uh, new names and, and some positions? Absolutely. Is the quarterback position going to be critical to our success? It always will be in our game. But I love our depth. This is the most depth we've ever had. I love the brotherhood. We're going to have a huge challenge in the opener on the road out at Stanford, which gives you, I think, a ton of motivation in the offseason to prepare. And, uh, you know, I love the way that our coaches are going about their business, developing our guys, especially Jay Hoot and our strength staff and, and, and the way they're working right now. And, you know, when I look to the future, I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I look at where we're at recruiting-wise, the infrastructure improvements that our administration's given us with the Walter Athletic Center, the Ryan Fieldhouse and Wilson Field. You know, we're, we're, we're really excited about this year and, and even more excited about the future. Let me ask you about one particular player on your defense, because when a guy like Patty Fisher comes along and he plays a lot as a freshman, it seems like now he has been there for seven or eight years and he's made <laughs> 5,000 tackles, right? I mean, that's what the, the, but really it's only been a couple. But what does it mean to have a guy like that to build your defense around? And gosh, I think he's actually only a junior, but to have a yeah. guy like that to build your defense around to a certain degree, what is that like? I mean, he's, he's kind of the new Pat Fitzgerald, right? No, no, no. He's got nine, nine million times more athleticism, hundred million <laughs> times more athleticism than the neck roll wearing guy in the nineties. Uh, but you know, I, I also learned a long time ago: for you to be great as a team, you got to be great in the belly of your defense, and you got to be great in the belly of your offense. That's that's the bottom line. And uh, you know, a part of that belly is your linebacking core. And you know, with Patty in the middle and Blake Gallagher next to him, uh, you know. It's it's a, a one-two combination at our linebacker core that is is maybe as good of a duo as we've had uh, in a long time, and that, and that's exciting. But we also had some some young guys that are adding a lot of depth and competition, and really pushing those guys. So uh, we've recruited well. Uh, I think we're doing a terrific job developing that group. Timmy McGargle, one of the best I ever coached, is our linebacker coach. And you want to talk about a future coordinator and head coach? There's one in Tim and. Uh, you know, just excited about that group. But Patty's been just such a, a high-level player for us now for a couple of years. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. If he ends up having the year he's capable of, we've got one of those good problems where we'll put his name into the NFL, get it evaluated, and see where it goes. But uh, if, it's, if it's a good problem, then we're fired up. And if not, we'll be stoked to have him back for another year, too. So, you know, again, those are things I don't hide from. Those are things that we embrace. And we hope to fill a locker room up with guys that are going to get evaluated like that. All right, last one for you, Fitz. And, uh, you know, you made mention of your relatively new, still probably still has the new car smell to it, your lakefront facilities there. What has that meant for recruiting? Are you getting in the door a little more on, on maybe some players that uh, four, five, six years ago that might not have been quite so receptive to Northwestern? Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I think there's a number of things young people want. Number one, they want to be able to play for a winner. They want to get a great degree, you know, development for the NFL. And, and, and signs that the university supports the football program. Uh, and, you know, obviously facilities are a big component of that fourth piece. And, you know, the new Walter Athletic Center and Ryan Field House and Wilson Field is as good as there is anywhere in football, let alone college football. And uh, we're incredibly thankful and, and uh, just feel so blessed and fortunate to have it. And the recruiting side is, is, is a major piece. But, you know, to me the bigger piece is the, the, the continuity 
the flow and the efficiency that we have for our guys on a day-to-day basis, not only when they're in, in football and, and nutrition and, and strength and conditioning and academics, but then we're right in the heart of our campus. And the efficiency for our guys for their day is, is like it's never been before. And uh, I think it's caused them to enjoy the biggest man cave maybe in college football. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're enjoying it uh, uh, every day. And uh, it, it's just something that we're very fortunate to have. Okay, I lied. I've got to give you one more because I know it's going to be a fast answer. And uh, there were some rumors about you heading to the NFL or at least being approached, not headed. Let me totally rephrase that. There were rumors about like there was some interest in you from NFL teams. What does that mean for your program? What does that mean for you? How do you deal with that when you get that, especially from the NFL, if there really is interest right. from the NFL? That's a different level than with another college. Um, how do you deal with that sure. with your athletic director, your players, your program? Just be honest. You know, I, I, I can't control what other people say. It sure beats having that said about you than the other things that trolls say about you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's put everything in perspective. It's, uh, I think, a great compliment to our coaching staff. Uh, and, and most importantly to our players that we're, we're having, you know, consistent success and, and, you know, organizations want to win. And obviously when you're the head coach, you get way too much credit when you have success. The credit goes to the staff and to the players, you know, so when we look at that, you know, just really thankful uh, for the kind words, but I'm absolutely ecstatic to be at my alma mater and coaching the guys that I want to coach. And I think we've made it very clear myself, our staff and the university combined that, you know, we want to do this for a long time, and I'm a, I'm a big subscriber, and a happy wife is a happy life. And <laughs> with an eighth grader, a sixth grader, and a fourth grader, you know, we're right uh, in the enjoyment years with our boys, and, and they're having a blast. And, and uh, this is where we want to raise our guys with, around the, the student-athletes that we get the privilege to coach. So we're just thankful to be here and, and uh, hopefully going to do it for a long time. I'd love to be Brendan's coach. If, if that's in the cards, he's in the fourth grade. So we got a long way to go until we accomplish our goals here. And uh, – as long as Northwestern wants me to be here, I'll, I'll hope to be here for a long time. Sounds great. Hey, Pat Fitzgerald, coach of Northwestern, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, Honored to do it, my friend, and uh, thanks for all that you do for college football, and appreciate the time. Go Cats. And now, three and out. First down. Conference USA did what I think is a smart thing. The league has partnered with the NFL Network to have a package of 10 football games per year appear on that network for the next four seasons. It's one Saturday game a week for 10 weeks. Considering CUSA has been struggling to find media rights deals that will provide it broad exposure, this seems like a great idea. CUSA already has deals with CBS, ESPN, and the online network Stadium, but the ESPN deal is mostly an ESPN Plus deal. Nothing wrong with Plus. Streaming is the future, but CUSA needed more linear cable exposure, and the NFL Network needed more live content on Saturdays. I've been told that it's unlikely CUSA is getting much, if any, rights fee from the NFL Network. It's most likely more of a revenue share from ad sales, but the exposure is the key. CUSA has been falling behind even the other group of five leagues when it comes to exposure. It's hard to find CUSA games on regular TV. And the fact that the league will be able to slot those games in on Saturdays is helpful, too. For the Mac and Sunbelt, ESPN exposure has come with weekday games that diehards like me love to watch on TV but aren't friendly to local fans or the teams participating in those games. 
Second down. Some scary news out of Illinois earlier this week. Defensive end Bobby Roundtree, a rising junior who has been playing and playing really well since his freshman season, suffered a spine injury during a swimming accident near his home in Florida last weekend. The university called the injury severe, but gave an update later saying Roundtree was eating and speaking normally and even sitting up. That seems encouraging. Here's hoping the news continues to be good for that young man. Third down. The Pac-12 released its financial records earlier this week, and the news was not great. Revenue was down this year by about $12 million. That's because the Pac-12 gets only a few thousand dollars from the Rose Bowl in years when the Rose Bowl hosts a playoff game, as it did after the 2017 season. In the years the Pac-12 sends its champ to the Rose Bowl, the payout has been around $36 million. The payouts to members still went up compared to last year. They were at $31.3 million, but that's because the league held some of its Rose Bowl money back in previous years, anticipating the falloff. Making the news seem even worse for the Pac-12, it was also reported that Commissioner Larry Scott's salary was up to $5.3 million a year, the highest among Power 5 commissioners. Listen, I have defended Scott to a certain degree often because so much of what hinders the Pac-12 in the arms race with the other Power 5 leagues is not in his control. But the optics mean something. When the highest paid commissioner in a Power 5 league is also in the conference that is falling way behind its competition in revenue, that commissioner is going to face intense scrutiny from the media, fans, and his constituency inside the conference. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Podcast One. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.